What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. We are joined uh, with our new super producer, ladies and gentlemen, Tyler Klang. Tyler, you want to put an applause cue in there? Okay. Hooray, new producer. <laughs> and uh, it's it's good to see you, man. We Likewise. It, it feels like a little while since we've been back in the booth. Uh, yeah, it does. It seems like it's been a couple weeks, but it probably hasn't. I mean... Uh, well, you know how we do these things. We do them in little batches here and there. So yeah. uh, we, we try to be pretty topical with our, our, our topics, but uh, it doesn't always work out that way. And in fact, today's comes from back in May, uh, May of this year, which is good, not May of last year. Sometimes that happens. But uh, <laughs> but I think it's an interesting topic, and uh, and hopefully we can uh, – what do you think? Do you think we could stretch this to an hour? We always can, right? doesn't matter what we're talking about. It seems like we can uh, we can draw this out, right? Sometimes we end up going on tangents. I've listened to previous <laughs> episodes where – and it's usually my fault where for some reason I'm irritated about something that I have to – I have to – just get on a soapbox and rant about for 20 minutes. Yeah. I will say, though, in my defense, that usually when I listen back, I agree. Yeah, and you know what? I, <laughs> you agree You agree with what you're saying? Yeah, okay. I agree with my rants. Uh, yeah. Understood, understood. I get it. But, yeah, we do get off on some tangents sometimes, and I think we might have this uh, – have that opportunity again today because it seems like this topic. Uh, I, I want to say this up front. I'm glad. I'm glad we're you know kind of chit chatting here before yeah, yeah. we really dive into it. But um, I, I do understand that you know today's topic is going to have a lot of people saying, "Wait, you forgot about this?" And there's going to be several uh, several angles and several different ways to look at this topic. Angles. So uh, yeah. yeah, angles. Funny. Yeah. So I, I think that um, you know by the end of today we will hopefully have you know a, not not um, not a hundred percent answered the question, but close to it anyways. There's a, there's a lot of other uh, dimensions that we're not looking at or, or other mm-hmm. things that we're not considering. I understand that up front. So please, you know, if you, if, after you listen to today's episode, mm-hmm. write in, tell us what we're forgetting, what we're not, you know, understanding about this whole process. Because yeah. we're, not, we're not engineers, we're not designers, we're not stylists, we're not accountants. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are going to try to describe to you why um, your car is so boring. And this comes from an article that was in Jalopnik, and it was written by um, a professional. It was written by a guy that is a, a car designer. He just goes by Mr. Car Designer. He wants to remain anonymous, uh, but he is a design engineer, and he's also a car enthusiast who will 
Um, lead us down a pathway that explains why, you know, that economy car that you bought or even that, uh, you know, mid-level sedan mm-hmm. is, is somewhat boring. Right. And I think this has happened to everyone in traffic, especially in the past – what do you want to say? For for decades now, there, you've probably been in traffic if you're listening to this show and you've looked around once or twice and just glanced to the left, glanced to the right, and you think, God, these cars are all so generic. Absolutely. I don't know how many people have written in and said, why does everything look the same? Why, mm-hmm. do, why do all cars seem to be taking the same form? And that goes for uh, trucks in, in some situations as well. Not all of them. There are some right. standouts, of course. And same with cars. There are going to be some standouts. But when you look at just – General traffic, when you're just, again, just sitting in, in, you know, bumper-to-bumper traffic during rush hour, you're going to notice that just about every SUV looks very, very similar. Every sedan looks very similar. Mm-hmm. And same with economy cars, same with, uh, you know, hatchbacks, same with uh, sedans, whatever. Sure. It, they all follow roughly the same form, and there's probably a good reason for that. Now, we're going to uh, – maybe we won't discuss this in depth, but there's something to be said for brand identity. So, you know, there are certain key characteristics that cars carry that, um, you know, all of the product line carries. You know, Must have this grill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's yeah. a great example. You know, it's, it's a look that, that they all follow. You know, you can tell that that's a Jeep from a long distance away because it has that characteristic Jeep form. Mm-hmm. You know, that type of thing. So we understand all that. But um, there are some really good reasons why, uh, you know, and, and maybe maybe this is a better way to say it, Ben. Okay. I've heard this from many people throughout, you know, decades. Um, and, I, and I've often wondered this myself. Why can't they make a car that is, you know, a, an economy car, a 10, 10 uh, let's say $15,000 car, just to be fair. Okay. $15,000 car that uh, that has the looks of a Corvette. Mm-hmm. It's very small. Like, let's say it's just a scaled-down Corvette. Okay. But it's, it's $15,000. Why can't they do that? Why can't they make an economy Corvette looking car or something that looks like a, um, a Jaguar F type or something like that. Why don't, why aren't small cars, economy cars more sporty looking? Why aren't they, or why are they so simple? Why are they so plain? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people ask that. Why can't they just add some style? Why can't they add some of the uh, the finishes that make everything look nice inside, you know, the quilted interiors, that kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, and <laughs> there's probably one good answer. One one four letter word that uh, that everybody can probably guess, and that's cost. Mm-hmm. And it all comes down to cost, really. But cost per unit. But there are lots of reasons, really. Yeah, there's more to this story than it, uh, there may appear to be on the surface. So one of the things that uh, you friends and neighbors have written in to tell us before was that cars are increasingly becoming generic because it's a matter of science, specifically aerodynamics. Mm -hmm. And while there is some sand to that, while I do agree that is part of the reason behind boring design, it's not the entire reason whatsoever. And as we explore this, we're going to, with the help of our anonymous whistleblower, we are going to discover some new twists and turns to the story. How do, how do you think we want to set this up? I like I like how he takes the uh, bloom off the rose really quickly. I, I do like that too. And you know what? I, I do want to start in with the article, and we'll read some of this article, uh-huh. I promise. But I want you to cast your mind back to the 1980s and 1990s for a moment and think about the economy cars from back then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so a lot of them had very, very flat panels, very mm-hmm. simple stamp designs, very easy mm-hmm. to uh, – you can, you can imagine them being manufactured very easy. 
Right, right. At, at scale. I mean, you know, with, when they're going to make 20,000 of them, 30,000 of them, you know, very simple to build, very simple to make. And then they have uh, – And very plain. Yeah, and they're plain. And part of the reason they're plain is because the components are built to be used in multiple models, you know? Yeah, sure. That's that's part of the reason. But mm. but think about now, like in, in, as we get to, uh, you know, the 2017 model year, economy cars have made a pretty dramatic uh, step forward, I guess, in that, you know, there are a lot of really – Simple vehicles that still have a little bit of style. You know, they've they've mm-hmm. they've really. I guess I don't know if they've upped their game so much as more as just they've refined it to the point where there's just a, a little bit of style to it. It's not so it's not so boxy. It's not so flat. It's not uh, you know the, the cars have more bends and creases to them. They're they're a little bit um, sexier looking. I guess yeah, if you want to call it that. There's you, a little more flow. Yeah, I mean if you can call a, a Kia Rio you know a sexy car. I don't know if you can or not, but but you know it's not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know you look at cars like the Smart for Two or the uh, the Chevy Spark or the the uh, the Sonic or you know something like that or Mitsubishi Mirage even. They have a little bit of design flair to them, but not a, not a whole lot. And I, I guess I just want to remind people of that that you know they have made <laughs> some advancements, I guess, along the way. But you're you're right, Ben. The way that this starts out, he does he does quickly get right to the point. Yes. Imagine you've just been hired as a design engineer at a major automotive manufacturer, says Mr. Car Designer. Your boss introduces himself and says, "Hey, are you ready to design the most innovative, mind-blowing original car you've ever seen?" Now stop imagining that because your boss is not going to say that. Maybe Elon Musk says that to his new recruits as they walk through the door. Then he probably mutters something under his breath about tunnels in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, okay. So so that's every designer's dream or every engineer's dream, right? Is that like mm-hmm. like you finally get to do what you've went to school for for so many years. You're you're ready to design the coolest, you know, most badass car that you can imagine on the planet even though, you know, it's you're designing an economy car or a base level vehicle. Vehicle, but that's not the case. He, he says on his first day uh, as a career designer, his his boss um, says, we're considering re- removing the dampers on our glove boxes. I need you to benchmark other manufacturers to make sure our cars won't be seen as lower quality compared to the competition. Prepare a presentation, and then we'll start training you on how to fill out the paperwork necessary to make the change. So that is the excitement that uh that design engineering uh has today that's that's what a, a typical design engineer will look forward to on their first day and as a as a rookie designer at this point uh in their time mr car designer also had to point out that they were they were car enthusiasts this was a real eye opening peek behind the curtain for them because like i love that you brought up Jaguar and Corvette, right? Mm-hmm. Amazing vehicles, just from the visual profile, sure. not, not even counting the engineering that goes into the engine and the powertrain and stuff. When we see those sorts of cars, you know, those are the sorts of vehicles that inspire kids to go to school and become a designer, mm-hmm. you know? But he wants to, uh, he, he wants to give us all a real, a real, uh, what would you call a splash of cold water? Sure. On this. Um, and one of the first things he talks about is what engineering actually is. What do design engineers actually do? Yeah, because everybody wants to point the finger at, at, at the engineers and say it's their fault. It's their, it's their, re- they're the reason behind this boring design. I've got you know, a great example of, uh, kicking a probably innocent engineer. Okay, what's so, that? So the Monte Carlo, my old Monte Carlo 
uh, had this terrible design for placement of the battery. Mm-hmm. And it had uh, it had a metal strut atop it, and the battery was placed in sideways, so you had to undo the strut first to get to the battery. And, of course, I would rather have it be vertical sure. versus horizontal. Mm-hmm. And every time you've got a dead battery, you know, you're not in the mood to think, oh, I understand the economy of space at play here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, instead, you're thinking, why the hell do I need another wrench? Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? exactly. And you got to be prepared for it no matter where you are if you have mm-hmm. to swap that out or do whatever you have to do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can see that people get angry and frustrated at certain things on their vehicles and they say, well, why, why is that designed that way? Why, why did they do that? Why did they make that choice? That's, that's such a dumb choice, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of reasons behind that and it doesn't just fall on the shoulders of the engineers. There's, there are three main groups that exist within any automotive company according to Mr. Car Designer and he says uh, well short of Hot Wheels he says you know Hot Wheels is a different game <laughs> but there's the engineering group styling and accounting and then you also throw in another group that's really important and we'll talk about these guys at the end the government now everybody has to deal with the government because they all all the cars that you produce have to comply with certain regulations of course and there are hundreds of regulations that we'll talk about now all of them play a role in shaping the car that you end up buying or decide, you know, you don't want to buy because of the way it's designed or the way it looks or whatever, you know, whatever reason you may have against Mm -hmm. them. So he starts out with engineering, which is a a logical place to begin because that's what his uh, focus is, his his, uh, study is in. Mm -hmm. And you might wonder exactly what design engineers really do since we've said, you know, they're not entirely responsible for this. So engineers are responsible for designing, as he says, the clips, ribs, brackets, frames, hinges, wires, supports, springs, shafts, and anything else that comprises the structural or functional parts of a car. So they're they're responsible for making sure that, you know, things don't rattle when you go over the railroad tracks, making sure things don't uh, shake loose after, Mm -hmm. you know, you hit 10 speed bumps, that type of thing. And a good engineer can make your $20,000 car feel high quality. Alternatively, he says, a bad engineer can make your $80,000 car feel like a drunk toddler made the dashboard out of paper mache. <laughs> and we've seen, you know, we've seen that in uh, some more high-end cars, especially, and not to ding him too much, because I know we've talked about it in previous episodes, but especially when you see upper scale brands, try to make economy cars, but they still have this upper-scale brand price point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Nobody wants, hey, nobody wants to do you know what? Can I, can I mention something now that yeah. we're talking about price point? Because um, – and we'll get right back into the story sure, in just a minute sure, yeah, here. Yeah, but this yeah. is Let's one talk. of those uh, the side stories that I think we need to talk about. Now, we, we've mentioned that, you know, we're, we're probably going to talk about price of vehicles, you know, why why they price them the way they do, I guess. You know, why why certain brands can get away – or certain manufacturers can get, get away with making inexpensive vehicles and others mm-hmm. can't. All right, so what do you think the cheapest new car for 2017 is, the cheapest model year vehicle for 2017? And you may already know this. I'm, I may be uh, asking a loaded question here. The absolute cheapest in the U.S. Yeah, just nope. a guess, a wild guess. I don't know if I could do a specific a specific vehicle. Maybe I, I can try to guess for a company. Is okay. it – Kia? Is it Hyundai? It is not. What is it? It is, uh, is Nissan. Nissan ha- uh, has builds the, the 2017 Nissan Versa sedan, and the price, the starting price for a brand new 2017 
$12,825. I find uh, that remarkable. Let's get a couple. That's pretty good. That price is so low that it sounds like it's, you know, a buy four, get one free deal. Uh, but have you ever seen a Nissan, a Nissan Versa sedan? I have not seen the 2017. I have seen plenty of Nissan Versus, and they're not my favorite. All right, the relatively plain vehicles, and sure. you're also going to have to deal with hand crank windows, manual power locks. Uh, you know, we're talking about the base S sedan. They're also not going to have any kind of height adjustable driver's seat, no center armrest. Uh, you know, for the driver or the passenger, wow. uh, there's there's no folding rear seats. You know, it's just they're, they're upright, and the trunk is the trunk. It doesn't allow That's any, how it stays. Doesn't allow any extra space or anything like that. But what you do get, and this is kind of surprising for that price, yeah, you do get things like air conditioning, power mirrors. You get four, a four speaker stereo system with uh, with audio controls on the steering wheel, which is kind of nice for for that price point. Yeah, um, you get things like Bluetooth connectivity. I mean, it has a lot of features that. You would be surprised would come on a, on a less than thirteen thousand dollar car, but you know, at this still, you're looking at a fairly and I'm, I shouldn't say primitive vehicle, but it, it, it's a um, it's basic, it's it, bare bones. Well, it's bare bones. Yeah, it's a it's a um, it, it's really stripped down. I guess it's not mm-hmm. it's not loaded by any means. It's it's got um, a scarcity of of uh, amenities, maybe. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. And I I am on the same page with you there, man. That is surprising that. The same vehicle that would not have a center armrest has uh, steering wheel audio controls. It makes me think, and I'm just guessing here, but it, it makes me wonder if in their supply chain, they th- that's the only steering wheel they make now. Well, see, that might you know? be it. This might be the like a, um, the result of a trickle-down technology mm-hmm. issue. Where, I think that's it. Where instead of designing an all-new steering wheel, as you said, you know, for for this Nissan Versa, they just simply use it from uh, the Altima or something mm-hmm. like that. And I'm making that up. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's a possibility. It might be all Nissan sedans. Uh, that could be. It, it could, could be. be. Yeah, it could be that simple. And and that's the thing. This this trickle-down technology. Oftentimes, that's why a manufacturer will build a um, a, a halo car. You know, mm-hmm. something that draws the the customers in, has them look at you know at the vehicle that's on the showroom floor, and then the people end up buying you know a, a model or two that's a, a trim line lower, maybe two lower than than that one, mm-hmm. but they're still excited about the product. They're excited about uh, in this case Nissan. Yeah, that makes sense. That yeah, makes sense. It happens. I mean, it happens with all brands. They all have these halo cars that we've, sure. we've discussed in the past. Get them in the uh, get them in the dealership. Yeah, as long as they walk out with something, right? Yeah, hook them with something, and then uh, and, and then reel them in with something else. Maybe that's it, right? Yeah. All right. So back to maybe what we were talking about before, and I guess um, you know, we're talking about engineering. We hadn't really gotten too far into this, um, no. but I think this is really funny. <laughs> now he he goes on to say, you know, we we talked about all the little bits and pieces and the the minutia that they design and 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 work on through their whole career, really. I mean, the the brackets and frames and hinges and all that stuff, right? Now. This is this is a funny way to put this. There's a humor throughout this whole article, really. Yeah, which I appreciate. So, so I'll read this. You can see why he's out in, anonymous. Now, he says, if, if you're interested in seeing the work that engineers like myself do, remove a plastic part from your car. You might notice the curved, st- styled surface and the way the grain of the plastic feels. Now, forget about all that and flip it over. <laughs> you see those ribs that run across the surface? The little uh, clip towers adorned with those Christmas tree clips that everyone hates? That's what I design. My life is awesome. 
So he designs like the stuff that you just don't see, the stuff that mm-hmm. that matters behind the uh, the face of the vehicle, really. But these things are mission critical every time you drive. Exactly, because it, it adds to the durability, the reliability of the vehicle. And, and engineers are responsible, uh, responsible for stuff like that so that they make sure that the car will last. It won't fall apart on the way home from the dealership. And there's, there's another part that he points out that I, I think is – I think it's valid and it's a very well-written point. He preemptively responds to folks in the audience, including honestly me at the beginning of yeah. our research here, yeah. uh, who would say, well, engineering, what about the people who make the engines and the transmissions? You know, They're doing the real gearhead work. And then he responds with – Yes, but at the end of the day, their job isn't that much different from his own because they don't just decide they're going to throw an 11,000 RPM V12 in the next Kia Rio. And then this is one of my favorite sentences and it's so true. He points out some guy out there has spent months of his life designing a dipstick. Yeah. Uh, chew on that for just a moment. Just think about that. You spend months designing a part that uh, you know relatively few people will ever really give much of a second thought to, or even differentiate between when they get a different car. Very few people are going to, you know, check the oil and then go, "Oh wow, what an amazing and innovative dipstick." <laughs> yeah. So the engineers again, they're they're responsible for making sure that everything has integrity, durability, reliability. And and the thing is that a lot of a lot of people, you know, they think that the engineers are responsible for style, the way that the car looks, and that's not necessarily the case, but the group that is responsible for that is styling, and that's a group that we're going to talk about after our word from our sponsor. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. 
and we're back, and we were talking about styling and styling. Now, that's that's the people that are responsible for what what the car looks like. I mean, when you get into a vehicle, with the, what the interior looks like, mm-hmm. um, you know, what it looks like from the outside, how it catches your eye, how it turns your head, how it probably draw, uh, drew you to it at the dealership to begin with, really. That's the styling group, and that's uh, – but they're not entirely responsible for it. <laughs> so this is what right, we'll talk about. Right, now, right. remember, the engineers are going to push back with, yeah, that, that piece looks really great, but, you know, it has to have this ribbing underneath in order to make it structurally mm-hmm. uh, strong enough to hold up. And they're going to say, well, then that changes the design of it. So it's back it's back and forth, right? So right. Uh, there's a continual uh, push and pull among all these groups that we're going to talk about. And styling, um, you know, sure, they start out with a fantastic design, something that's swoopy and and, and maybe even muscular. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a bold design. Something sure. that they really want, and that's what you typically see in concept vehicles at, at auto shows. I knew you were going to, you know, say some, that, some yeah. amazing looking designs and, and vehicles. But everybody knows that by the time that vehicle goes to production, it looks significantly different in most cases, right? Because it's to some degree, it has to be collaboratively created, right? Uh, so, as Scott said, the engineers will come in and say, "Okay, okay, 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 okay." I know we all love the Jetsons, but <laughs> yeah. it's impossible to do that. Can we do a regular windshield? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not going to do a, a glass dome like you wanted right. on that vehicle, even though it looks really cool. And it, and there are concept cars that have those, uh, but there's a reason that you know your next Nissan Versa doesn't have a glass dome. Yeah, you're not driving under like a, a, a fighter jet canopy or something like that, right. which would be so cool, but you just uh, you just can't do it. Now, I know, again, concept vehicles have that, and, and they look amazing, but um, there's, there's a reason behind that. And the problem is that, you know, everyone wants to design what they – deemed to be the most beautiful or most uh, sleek car in the world, right? Yeah. And designers can do that. They can pick up a pen and paper and draw out what looks like the greatest car ever. And you think, that's fantastic. If you could build that, mm-hmm. I would buy one. A group of engineers and a group of designers can realistically sit down in a room, hash it out, and make a car that looks and performs at this amazingly high standard. However, yeah. they're not the only people in the room and we can't just – it's it's easy to say uh, so-and-so ruined the new generation of my favorite sports car, mm-hmm. right? Sure. But it's also unfair to put the blame just on the designers. These are not – these are not spaced out – Spaced out knuckleheads or something who wake up one day from a dream and say, this is the new Chevy Malibu, yeah, you a, know, a fever dream, a fever dream. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. No, no, no. Yeah. There's there. As you said, there are other people in the room and those other people are the accountants. And we'll get to accountants in just a moment. But mm-hmm. but it all comes back to, as you had guessed or as probably everybody guessed and we said earlier, yep. it all comes back to cost. Everything costs money. So nice things cost a lot of money. And if you if you want to build an economy car, mm-hmm. it's all about cutting corners where you can uh, while still adhering to the safety regulations and still adhering to, um, you know, uh, I guess the, the principles behind the, the brand and you know, what they stand for and what they yeah. what they want to uh, put forward as their as their image. But more than that, they're still they're still interested in cost. Cost is number one. Cost is king. Well, I've... yeah, okay. Should, should I say cost is number one? Because they are. Re- I mean, when you get down to the the, the brass tacks of it, I guess it, it, you know safety is what eventually rules everything. Safety is eventually what. Well, yeah, safety ultimately. I would say safety, marketability, and cost. Yeah. Um, and the reason we put marketability up there is because it doesn't matter how smart you are in 
the manufacturing rooms, if no one wants to buy it, you're still up the creek. Okay, so they talk a little bit about um, you know profit margins. All right, now now this is kind of surprising, and I read this somewhere. I don't not remember where it was. It was in some forum somewhere, and you know engineers had you know added material to it. I don't remember exactly where to credit this to, but. Someone said that um, economy cars or you know lower end base model vehicles. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, the profit margin on those vehicles might be as little as a thousand dollars. And this is amazing. I'm really glad you mentioned this because I have an analogy for us, a comparison. All right. So you know what we're talking about, mm-hmm. though, and we'll, we'll get to your analogy yeah, in just yeah, a yeah. second. But what we're talking about is that every vehicle they sell, they only gain back a thousand dollars. Now, imagine that you have built this vehicle from the ground up. It's a scratch-built vehicle, I'd mm-hmm. say, and it's a brand-new line. Let's say it's the uh, the new Dodge Dart. Okay. All right. I was going to use the Neon, but the Neon's long gone. So let's <laughs> say the new Dodge Dart. <laughs> and you've, you've got all the tooling together, and we're talking about sometimes millions of dollars for tools that, that go into this, you know, each for each panel, mm-hmm. each piece. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets very, very expensive. Of course, the research and development, all the people that, that go into uh, building that, um, um, all the time that they've put into it. You're paying for engineers for, you know, maybe two years, three years to develop this vehicle, whatever it takes. And there's testing that also, there's testing where you're essentially wrecking series of these cars. Sure, yeah. There's, I mean, there's just countless costs that go into this thing. Yeah. And they're, and they're rega- recapturing only, let's say, $1,000 for every one they sell. Mm-hmm. The only way that that works is if you build you know, 20,000 of these a year, 30,000 of them a year, maybe hundreds of thousands of them. And, and over the lifetime of the car, mm-hmm. eventually it pays it back. Now, we're not talking about even one year. We're talking about over a span of, you know, the uh, the generation of the vehicle before they have to retool it for a new generation. So that adds more costs. So let's say that, you know, it has a five-year run without a change. And that'd be a long time, I think, these days without yeah, a change. Yeah, true. A significant change. Um, you know, they're recapturing $1,000 every every time they sell one. Mm-hmm. You need to sell, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of vehicles in order to recapture that cost or to, to gain a profit on that line mm-hmm. of vehicles. And and sometimes it just doesn't happen. Sometimes they decide to just get rid of the line. Other times they decide, well, we'll retool it, make it more attractive, and maybe we'll get more sales. And, you know, this this goes back and this, this kind of just snowballs into bigger things as mm-hmm. you keep going on. So, um, again, that that – Scale, you know, you have to build it at that level. That that amount of amount of vehicles every year, or that amount of vehicles for the uh, the generation, that's something they have to factor in right at the very beginning. Like, is this really going to be worth it? Is this something that people are going to want to buy? Right. And the the analogy that I would draw, or one of the ways I like to picture it, mainly because I skipped lunch earlier today, <laughs> is let's think about what we buy in a grocery store. Or uh, let's think about the economics of a grocery store versus the economics of a really fancy restaurant. Okay. So, in a really fancy restaurant, you could let's say you're taking your significant other out, and I don't know, it's like your anniversary. Your wife was always wanting to go to. Your husband's always wanting to go to this special place, right? And you sure. know that you could, uh, it, you will be paying. A premium for uh, what what may be, you know, like a, a relatively small steak or something, and mm-hmm. then a side of Bernays sauce. I don't know. I don't know what you eat, but um, but you're already creating such a high profit margin for that restaurant. If we're just looking at materials, and we're just looking at sort of the design thing, and a grocery store, so they can. The point is, uh, a high end restaurant can 
produce more profit through fewer transactions, but a grocery store which has maybe a profit of as as small as three three to four cents on a can of beans, you know, yeah, they have to sell hundreds, yeah, just to like keep the lights on. So at the steakhouse, let's say, sure, you're paying. Uh, $55 for ribeye steak, mm-hmm. which you know doesn't cost them $55, but they have a, a big profit margin. They can sell less steaks and still make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's like the Ferrari of steaks. Yeah. Okay. Got that's it. What it, that's so what you, I'm saying. You yeah. go to the grocery store, you buy a, a ribeye steak, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, let's say it's $23. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the grocery store is only making uh, $3 on that sale because mm-hmm. it costs them $20 to get that meat from the butcher wherever they get it, right? That's like the uh, Nissan Versa of steaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, okay. I'm going to pull that quote out of context and just <laughs> quote you later on that because that's cool. But yeah, that, I think that holds up because – I really, I'm really glad you said Ferrari because that's why you don't see huge runs of very high-end cars. They don't have to exist. Well, they're, they're also okay, – but they're going to throw in another complication. Not, not a complication but maybe a, a, a consideration? Another, another angle consideration, yes. Uh, is that, you know, those are primarily hand-built. And I know they're using some robotics at Ferrari, for our example here. But Yeah, that's, prim- that's really important. Primarily hand-assembled vehicles. So, uh, you know, there's a lot more time and effort put into them, and they can do things – in a lot of t- in a lot of cases that uh, you know a, a robot can't do. Now I I know that you know there's it's pretty limitless what you can do with with robotics these days. I understand that, but uh, on a uh, relatively simple, if I can call it simple, simple assembly line now mm-hmm. with the, where a car is primarily built with robotics, you look at what they do and it's a relatively simple operation. You know it, everything loads in through the car door. It's pretty pretty easy to uh, you know get in with the the robotic arm and, and weld and and fasten or whatever they have to have to do, right? Apply sure. finishes, whatever. That all happens relatively easy. But a, a craftsman that is is creating a Ferrari by hand, you know, someone that, you know, maybe twelve people in the line. They're in there like stitching the upholstery and stuff. Exactly right. Yeah, there's a big difference there, right? I mean mm-hmm. you're not gonna see a robotic arm stitching the uh the steering wheel together on a on a um a Nissan Versa. You're gonna see them, you know, taking a pre assembled steering wheel and applying it to the vehicle. Just like at the restaurant, there is a chef cooking. Well, ex- yeah. exactly. That's right. Yeah. So there's, and I know I'm oversimplifying that whole thing, but you you get the point. Is yeah. that you know these are these cars are you know they're they're, they're simple design. They're repeatable. You know mm-hmm. to the point where you can build you know tens or hundreds of thousands of them a year. I don't know about hundreds. That's a lot, but um, you could build lots of them quickly. Yeah. The other the other version is one that you build very few slowly. Yeah, and the. Uh, this leads us back. If we go back to the conceptual process of building an economy car, just like Scott mentioned, anything that the designers, even the engineers, think would be really cool doesn't always get in. Anything that they think is cool that other parts of the decision-making group think are unnecessary – are probably going to get cut. Yeah. Now that means things like, you know, brake cooling ducts, you know, intakes for brakes and things like that. Uh, fancy aerotech, as, as he puts it, trick suspensions or even crazy shaped, difficult to produce body panels or nicks. Now that's a huge one right there. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. That makes me think of, uh, remember when carbon fiber first came out? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do remember that and how difficult that was to make, um, you know, any body panel really. I mean, mm-hmm. now, now they're starting to simplify that. It's, it's starting to be mass produced and, and it's, yeah. it's getting a lot cheaper to do that. But carbon fiber was so expensive to work with mm-hmm. on the, in the early, early days. Even of this podcast, it was, a, yeah, it, it was, was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it was a really difficult process. But, but all that stuff that, you know, they, they think, um, is unnecessary gets cut from the vehicle. You know, anything that, um, um, the accounting group thinks is, is unnecessary, um, they get rid of it. And, Again, one of the biggest things I think this is the the exterior sheet metal. Now, I had mentioned this early early in the podcast that um, you know a lot of people just simply want a better designed compact car, economy car. You know, why can't you make it look like uh, that Corvette, or why can't you make right. it look like um, you know a Hummer when it's a it's just a little vehicle, a little tiny compact vehicle? What why do you have to make it so complex? How much could a crease in metal possibly cost? Right. Uh huh. But that's not. All there is to it. It's not just adding the style to the outside. It's not just the bolt-on stuff, really. Um, it, there's you got to think about everything behind that. You know, everything that the engineers are responsible for making. You know, making sure that that stuff doesn't fall off. Making mm-hmm. sure that it's supported in some way. Making sure that you know later, as we'll talk about, you know, crash standards. You know, the regulations. Yeah, that's a big part of it. There's, there's again, everything that we talk about here just. Again, snowballs into something much, much bigger. But you know, the, the good news is that manufacturers still can get away with adding stuff like that to the vehicle. They still can add Aerotech. They still can sure. add trick suspensions. They can still add, uh, you know, the brake cooling ducts or intakes if they want to. But it's going to be not on the base model. It's going to be on the mid-level lines or even the high-line vehicles. Mm-hmm. It's the trim package. It's the uh, optional. It, it's the it's the option that honestly, this stuff irritates. The heck out of me, Scott. It's the option that makes you think, well, why would you sell a car without that? Yeah. You know, and we can promise you a lot of engineers and a lot of designers, like a lot of stylists, probably thought the same thing. Oh, yeah. You know, they, were, I, they were probably like, no, this suspension is important. And they're like, eh, it's not – it might be important, but important isn't the same thing as necessary. Yeah. Yeah, uh, do, you, do you really need the brand name uh, struts on this, or can we just put in, you know, the ones that we buy from our supplier? Right, that we already have a deal with for another line. Yeah, we have truckloads of those available. Uh, let's just use that. Yeah, we're the lousy with this suspension. <laughs> and the people who say that, the people who end up kind of playing the, you could think of them as the bad cop. I think that's yeah. busting their chops a little. But those people are the accounting department. And they are responsible for something. Let me let me ask you this, Scott. Did you ever have did you ever have a car where somewhere on the console or the dash there were blank buttons that were just like a slap in the face to the options that you didn't get in you your know, car? Almost every car I've ever owned, really. I mean, that's I that's that. the truth. Is that you know, there's always going to be that spot where you you know, there's there's a spot for a button there, or even three buttons, or right. whatever it is, and you wonder. What the heck is that? Until you find a, a vehicle that is of a higher line than yours. Let's say you bought, you know, um, I'm going to just make some, a Mustang. You buy uh-huh, a Mustang, uh-huh. and then you go look at a Mustang GT, and you find out what that button hole is for, right? But you've just got a blank panel there, a little piece of plastic, and that, again, kind of a slap in the face, right? I mean, yeah, like, why, it feels. why don't I, why don't I have that option on my vehicle? And if the, if the hole's there for it, why isn't there at least just a dummy switch there? Why, right. Why don't they put something there that, so that it doesn't look like just you know an option that I don't have? I had a um, yeah, I've had those experiences where I would hop in a car, and it was like my car, and I would look at 
the radio and obviously didn't have the cool version of the radio. So there's a big blank space uh-huh. in this one area. Uh-huh. And then where the, uh, where the hazard lights would be, there's that one button and then there's a row of other uh, unlabeled buttons that don't work. Yeah, it's like the fog lights or whatever, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. every time I hop in, I feel like my car's, but part of my French here, every time I would hop into my car, I feel like it was saying, you cheap bastard. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for at least getting wheels. You know what? I think a lot of people, a lot of people feel that way about, about those blank buttons. Like, why do you even have to have that opening? Why does that have to be there? Why can't they just make a separate dash yeah. for this level vehicle? Just give me the one button I need. Yeah, exactly. So, so, okay, he has a perfect example of this. Now, this is again from Mr. Car Designer, mm-hmm. um, over at Jalopnik. He says, um, for example, say your car is available with a sunroof, but you bought the base model. Uh, and then he says, so really you brought this on yourself by doing that. <laughs> uh, but the car with the sunroof needs to have a hole in the dashboard for a sunroof switch. Makes sense, right? Yeah. All right. Your car does not. I mean, it doesn't need it. You don't have a sunroof. So, right. so that's the reason. But, well, it seems simple enough, but what you may not have considered is how a dashboard is manufactured right now. So, there's no employee whose sole purpose in life is to drill holes in, in dashboards for sunroof switches. Almost all dashboards on the market today are injection-molded plastic, and that means that a, a mold has to be designed and cut from a large piece of metal for every single variation of a part. Now, that's every part. That's not just the, the dashboard, but we're talking about the dashboard here. A mold as large as an entire dashboard can easily cost millions of dollars. So, you know, that's the reason. They're not going to make two separate dashboard dies mm-hmm. for, you know, the, your your dashboard because it cost them millions of dollars. Now, think again with the the, the profit margins that we told you earlier, how small right. they are in some right. vehicles. And others, I understand it goes up a little bit as you go up in, in trim level, but still, they're not going to invest millions of dollars. They're going to look at that and say, well, well no, we're just going to give you, you know, a two-cent blank to put in that spot instead of you know, creating a whole new uh, die or mold for that whole thing. Yeah, because think about it. In order to have a variation of the dashboard with that sunroof switch and one without that sunroof switch so that you, like me, would not feel like you were incredibly cheap when you hop in your car, mm-hmm. it would cost the company millions just yeah. to have those. So, yeah. And the funny way he puts it is that it would cost – if you think about it this way. Mm-hmm. So you understand, like, you can't have a separate dash. It costs millions of dollars. But the reason – they don't do it is because the only thing that it solves is that it would fill, you know, one square inch of material on that dashboard. That's it. Is millions of dollars worth filling that one square inch of material? Never. Not to accounting. No, not to accounting. Well, I guess, you know what, to you and I, yeah, just do it. I mean, if it's, it's not my money. <laughs> That's so terrible. Yeah, they should have just done it. Just sell another you know, 10,000 vehicles, 100,000 vehicles. You see, I mean, clearly, right, we can see <laughs> that there is a – we can clearly see there is logic at play in this decision. And honestly, although although it can be irritating to see those blank buttons and stuff, it's completely understandable. And I have a hard time picturing anybody doing anything different. Now, it's irritating, I understand, but that is accounting's job. They have to make sure that stuff like that doesn't happen. Now, another uh, factor in this whole thing, that another role that's played um, in car design is by the government. And we'll talk about them after a word from our sponsor. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to 
bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. We have returned, and here is where one of the biggest influencers in any car design comes into play. They're the people who have essentially out of the out of the four groups, they have the strongest veto power. For any yeah. design. Oh, absolutely. Because if you, if they don't approve it, your car is not going to be on the road. You're not going to sell even one vehicle. So uh, you have to design with this last faction in mind right from the very beginning. So you have to think about the government. You have to think about regulations. You have to think about what um, uh, you know vehicle safety standards you have to meet in order to get your vehicle on the dealer lots and then onto uh, onto mm-hmm. the highways. And not just uh, what you might think of when we first say safety standards. Not just you know. Seat belts, airbags, point like even, even crumple zones, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This also means emissions. This also means, you know, this, this means a bunch of different things that all get wrapped up under the approval of what we in the U.S. call Uncle Sam. And if you want to get right down to the the group or the division that this, yeah. this is falling on or on their shoulders, this is the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration or, or NHTSA as we'll call them. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about them many times in the past. And their set of rules or the list of rules is known as the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards or FMVSS, which we'll, we'll just say Federal Safety Standards. How about and, that? Yeah, it's an exhaustive, an exhaustive group of regulations, yeah. and it and it increases every year. Yeah, it's hundreds of regulations, hundreds of regulations from ranging from airbags and uh, airbag tests, I guess, to standards for flammability uh, for vehicle interiors. Their regulations play a huge role in the design of a vehicle, as you said before, Ben. And as as these guys said, you know, the engineer points out early on. It's pretty easy to build a car. You can you can build a, the most simple vehicle out there. I mean, it, it really is pretty simple. You could take just about it. You could build one in your garage and make it and make it work really out of scrap that you have laying around. Yeah, you can make it go. You can. You can make. I mean, think about a go kart. People build go karts all the time. Yeah, people like uh, people uh, motorize shopping carts. You all know, you have to, all you have to do is just uh, scale that up and make a small vehicle. And I know it's, it sounds like a, a tall. You know, it's hard to do that. I understand it takes skill, but but it's relatively simple to create something that could 
run and drive. If you don't have to worry about safety. That's the thing. Now, see, that that's the thing. If you take that design that you create in your garage, you know, uh, whatever that happens to be, if it's your own design, yeah. uh, you would still have to pass these tests. And and if you're planning to sell the vehicle, I guess, you know, that's that's the other thing. If you're planning to, to replicate and sell this vehicle, you have to adhere to uh, the NHTSA's battery of tests. And they've got a, a, a lengthy list of, of tests that they have to or crash tests that they have to um, you know, pass with it's with some uh, form of confidence you know that, that you know you, you've passed with one star or whatever it is I mean at right. least you, you've completed this right and uh, you know of course everybody shopping is looking for the five star vehicles right of course yeah and, and then they throw out tests that aren't yet federally mandated but still have to be completed the manufacturers are still um, adhering to that one one example is the um, the offset test. I think there's a small offset test now, which is mm-hmm. different. They, for years, have ran something that they just called, you know, the frontal crash, right, where it's a full-on front crash, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think everybody can understand that. It's sure. pretty easy. I guess they would call that the full frontal crash, right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, there's Wait, isn't that, what, isn't that one of the criteria you look for in, uh, in a movie when you go to see it, full frontal? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's all right, sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't resist. I mean, how often does that come up in our podcast? Not very often. I don't. I, we're not really a full frontal show. <laughs> okay, I'm just. I'm. I'm ribbing you, Ben. So it's inspired a, by the world of film, the yeah. full frontal crash. That's where. Uh, that's where all the crash dummies are naked. Yeah, yeah. In exactly. the car. Okay, so I, I guess moving on. All right, we. Uh, you know, then there's the. Uh, um, there's the moderate frontal crash, which is uh, from about 1995, for right around there. I'm not exactly sure the year, but that has um, a barrier that only contacts uh, 50% of the front of the vehicle. And we've seen, we've all seen that, right? I mean, sure. it's kind of like an offset barrier. Mm-hmm. They've increased that even more now in the last couple of years. I think, uh, I want to say it's around 2012, but it might have been 2014, somewhere in there. Uh, they started running something called the small overlap frontal crash. And this one only contacts uh, 25% of the front of the front end of the vehicle now uh, as as uh, mr designer points out here mr car designer points out um, these are brutal crashes when you ever if you've ever seen a a, a small frontal overlap crash mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're running at about 40 miles per hour right. you think 40 miles per hour that's not very fast until you hit something until you see one of these crashes happen and then you understand exactly how important that is but the problem is this completely changed the game for them when they when they started doing these these overlap tests. Uh, you know, where where only a part of the front end is is contacted, mm-hmm. it changes the direction that the, you know the body inside moves. It changes where you place airbags. It changes uh, you know the the structural underlayings of the uh, the let's say the left front side of the vehicle, the right front side of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to add steel beams. You have to add a lot of material. And again. Everything has that snowball effect where if you add, you know, material here, you got to take away from there or it extends it. It changes the design of that. So when you change something like as simple as an airbag, you know, you have to adjust your airbag design because of this this 25% overlap. Uh, that changes literally hundreds of parts on a car. Hundreds. There's a domino or a snowball effect, as you said. Yeah, yeah. and that ripple effect or domino or whatever you want to call it, that, sure. that causes a lot of issues with not only your department, with other departments as well. And so, again, that leads to a new, a new string of meetings, a new string mm-hmm. of uh, CAD designs that have to go out. You have to change everything based on just that one simple thing. So, uh, you know, changing even a, the most simple thing, you would think it would be simple, it has again this this effect that that reaches to all groups. Everybody is responsible for it now. Yeah. So if the from our sunroof switch example, if you have to install a new bigger 
stronger knee airbag to stop somebody from moving sideways, then you have to factor in all of the other parts that are around it. And this can have very real and very dangerous implications. Uh, so now all of a sudden we have this bigger, stronger airbag. It could turn the sunroof switch into a deadly projectile when it, when, you know, depending on the nature of the crash. Oh, back to that sunroof switch again. Mm-hmm. I think it's causing us all kinds of trouble today. I, I, you know, I, I miss having a sunroof. <laughs> Do you really? Even though there's such a hassle, you know, man. Um, just again, another little side note here. Yeah, I, yeah, I prefer uh, vehicles to not have sunroofs. I don't know why that is. I just I, I've had vehicles with and without. Yeah. And I just seem to prefer them without. And I, I think one major reason is that it's a giant hole in the roof of the vehicle, and that's another potential leak spot. That's one. Yeah. Now it's nice, I guess, to be able to open it to vent, you know, the, sure. the air, and just have some fresh air flow through mm-hmm. there. It brings. Cool air through the windows sometimes, you know, on a fall or spring day. I like that. But um, a lot of times, I mean, we're here in Atlanta and it gets hot. I mean, even if through its, you know, they're usually really, really tinted, really dark. Right, right? yeah. Um, Even through the tinted window, tinted glass, uh, those become super hot in the summertime. And I just, I would prefer to shield myself from that sometimes just to kind of hide out underneath the uh, the hard roof of my vehicle. Well, you know, my position on this kind of stuff is when I see – you know, when I see like a retractable soft top or when I see a convertible, when I see a sunroof, the first thing I think of is how many moving parts break so easily in those things. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. the last time I was the last time I was actually in a soft top, uh, the person who was driving, they were, she was showing me a, showing me her new car mm-hmm. and uh, she was like, yeah, we'll take the top down. I said, cool, take the top down. And the top did not come back up, my friend. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So she had to take it into the shop that day. Oh, yeah. Luckily, the weather was fine. Yeah. But to me, they feel like liabilities. Extra parts. Extra parts, more movement equals more opportunity to break. More movement, more trouble. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Right. More movement, more problems. (laughs) Something like that, Mm -hmm. anyways. All right. So, you know, you're getting the idea that, you know, um, you change one little thing or you add one little thing and it, and it creates this world of complexity that, uh, that wasn't there before, right? I mean, you you may have everything kind of all hashed out and and ready to go. And, uh, you know, someone down the line decides they're going to change the design of the front fascia. They're going to change the, uh, the the look of the headlamp. You know, Mm -hmm. something has to be adjusted. But that, that, again, that has that ripple effect that, that changes everything behind it or at least a significant distance around it. So, hundred again, the underlaying stuff is what this engineer is concerned with and, and there's hundreds of pieces that then have to be reevaluated for every little change, you know, to make sure that there's no no issues that are caused by that. And let's get let's get specific here with the help of Mr. Car Designer, the Mitsubishi 3000 GT hood blisters. These were originally caps added to cover holes in the hood for strut tower clearances. All right. I have to admit that I had to look this up. I yeah. looked up uh, – I think it was like a 1995 Mitsubishi 3000 GT. Uh-huh. And it does have these kind of goofy-looking caps that were put in place. They look like a separate piece. They are a separate piece uh-huh. that was put onto the hood. Later, they smoothed them out. They made them uh, – they incorporated them into the hood design. But yeah. it's a goofy design. So why did they have to do that? Yeah, because there were these holes in the hood – because the strut tower needed clearance that the actual hood, the pre-existing hood, just didn't have. And they didn't go back to redesign the hood. Right. At yet. Yes. I mean, they did later. They did. As you said, they did <laughs> later. And yeah. usually this 
usually this sort of incorporation of these new features happens when the next model comes out. Well, I'll tell you why. I mean, again, go back to the example of the dashboard, right? I mean, imagine how expensive it is to make a a, a piece of metal that you have to shape uh, in order to create a new hood for a vehicle. And so they they probably just got to a point where they said, you know what, we can't spend you know six million dollars for this new uh, hood design. Right now, we don't. We just we're unsure about it. We'll do that on the first redesign of the vehicle, whenever that was. I don't remember how many years later that came about, but um, they look at, again. The counting looks at it. Everybody looks at it and decides it's just not worth it at this point. Here's our here's our simple fix for now. Mm-hmm. We'll really fix it later. And sometimes I, that sounds like a sort of an ad hoc solution or a last minute ish thing. Mm-hmm. But it gets the car on the road and it gets the car in dealerships and it gets the car out. I, I have to believe that this is smoothed out a little bit with, uh, you know, with computer aided design that we're doing now versus computer aided design back then. Yeah. It was a bit more, um, boy, second time I've used it, a bit more primitive back mm-hmm. then, even though it was very advanced for back then, uh, you know, right. versus what the way we did it before, you know, the drafting board. But, yeah. Um, and they still do drafting board, I understand. But, but now, um, you can, you know, input this, and the whole team is working on one system now, and right. I think they have been for many, many years now, but to be fair, but you know you make one change and it shows you every part that it does affect, and then it, alerts are sent out to everybody to say, hey, so and so you know Ben's making this change on on the uh, you know underneath the hood. Uh-huh. Is that something that's going to interfere with you know production? Is it going to cost more? Is it going to uh, is going to allow us to manufacture this? Is it going to um, uh, is it going to have any kind of interaction with another part? Is it going to you know collide with another part? And then how much is this change going to cost? Yeah, exactly. What so, is the reference? What are our other options? And all yeah. this is happening in real time so that you know when when they're working on a vehicle, they can do this simultaneously. Everybody sees you know what changes are being made every day all the time. Yeah. And and I think it's very helpful. I think it streamlines the whole process. So so stuff like that won't happen now, really. Yes. It, or it, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't. It's much less likely to happen. Yeah. Hopefully. I, I guess when you get to the you know the assembly line, things are a little bit different. Yeah, when the <laughs> when the robot hits the hits the road. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there is there is another extreme example or extreme possible consequence of these sorts of changes. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Car Designer doesn't name it specifically. He says, I know of at least one vehicle, a certain off-roader, let's just say that, that was discontinued entirely because changing airbag regulations would have meant the entire shape of the vehicle had to be redesigned. Hmm. So this change in airbag regulations affected so many other parts of the vehicle that the manufacturer – Whomever they might be, yeah, just said, ah, let's call it. A, let's t- take a bath on it. Let's call it a wash. I wonder. And you know, I I was trying to think of who this might be, and and my best shot in the dark answer mm-hmm. for Bronco. I wonder. I just wonder. Yeah, maybe someone out there knows. Maybe maybe they know what you know what vehicle went away because of airbag regulation, side airbag regulations, mm-hmm. and, and this yeah. design change. I mean, that's and, yeah, that's pretty. I mean, that shows you how. You know, dramatic. This is they did away with an entire line of vehicles mm-hmm. because of one change to airbag regulations. And so, this is an impulsive decision. There are people running mathematical models over. You know, if it gives us cost X to make this redesign, and how many vehicles do we have to sell mm-hmm. for how many years to just even 
turn a profit. Yeah, or break even. Or break even. Or even close to even, just enough to, uh, you know. Well, anyway, okay, so there's one more final point here that, that we want to bring up. But I've, uh, later, at the very end of this podcast, yeah. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask the listeners a question. Okay. Maybe even a couple of questions. All but, right. But the way that uh, Mr. Car Designer wraps up this article, I, I think this is a good way to, to think about this. And um, the next time you get in your car, just hit, take a quick look around and think about the things that you do and you don't like about your vehicle. And then realize that nothing in your car exists because one engineer didn't get enough sleep or decided to, to put that USB charger just out of your grasp. Uh, designing a car is an immensely complex, exhausting process, and each part has its own story, as we've kind of told you today. I mean, think about that simple switch for the the, uh, uh, the sunroof. Try to understand how all these stories come together and make one coherent, attractive, quality, affordable, safe vehicle, and you'll understand the challenge of my job. Now, I think that's a fantastic way to end this because – it just shows you how difficult, how complex this whole thing is. It's not mm-hmm. just one group that you can, you know, point the finger at and say, "Gosh, why did why did engineering decide that you know this USB charger should be way over here where I can't hardly get it?" <laughs> um, that's that's his last example here. This is perfect, but um, it, it, there are things in my own vehicles that I've had in the past that I've just wondered why did they do it that way. And I, I'm trying to think of some specific examples, but I guess missing buttons is one. Yeah. That's, that's one huge one. I think a lot of people have that question. Others are maybe unusual shifter designs, something mm-hmm. that doesn't feel right, like where um, location of an emergency brake releases or a hood release. Those are good. Um, Those are both good simple examples. Simple things. You know, maybe a uh, even even the gas release door, you know, like if you have a locking gas cap or, mm-hmm. or a locking gas door. Uh, sometimes they put them in the glove box on the passenger side uh, in the past. And, you know, I was thinking, well, that's a really weird spot for that. And then they started tucking them underneath the seats, mm-hmm. and you'd have to get your hand kind of wedged in between the mechanism down there to open that up. And then they started putting them on the doors, and then yeah. you know now they're down underneath the dash by the uh, um, by the steering wheel. You know they change them all over the place, but there's a reason everything is where it is, and and um, the design or the thought behind that isn't necessarily just one person, one group. It's it's a kind of a groupthink thing. It, it has yeah. to happen that way, otherwise it just won't work. I have a good example for you. Okay. Or, uh, a bit of a curmudgeonly example. So, okay. you know, I used to drive that Ford Escape, right? Yeah. The thing about that, being a compact SUV, is that the rear seats, the rear bench, fold down. So mm-hmm. you could carry, uh, you know, more stuff. So I won't get too in-depth about the process. It was like a three-step process to fold down these seats. Mm-hmm. The one thing that always mystified me, I still never understood, is the headrest you had to you had to physically pull them out, you know. So it's like a it's a pretty basic headrest with, you know, the upholstered part and then two metal rods, the notch sure. on one side. Yeah, to, I think know, everybody can picture that to adjust that. Yeah, but you'd have to pull them all the way out to lay the seats flat. Yeah, and then what do you do with the headrests? You, they're just there. They're just floating around the car, right? That's what you know. Maybe, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe they somehow folded, and I was just being a doofus. But uh, yeah, it got me because I would fold these things down and be loading up a car, you know, to to move or something, or or take some stuff for a project, and then I would think, well, I lose things all the time. Better make sure that I keep these because I don't want to be driving around with a weirdly missing headrest. Yeah, what do you do? You, you put them in the garage or you just kind of stash them on, on the floorboards? What do you do? I mean, that's that's kind of a, a bad design. It really is a bad design. It feels weird. Yeah, I understand. Well, what if you just, like, smash yourself right up against the steering wheel so that your chest is right up against it then? 
and you're driving that way. Would that have worked? I guess that would be, you know, <laughs> super dangerous. Well, that's the thing. The thing about that is, at least if there were an accident, it'd be over quick for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it'd be over real quick. <laughs> that's yeah, pretty I, morbid. I guess I understand, you know, the, though that, um, uh, you know, in order to do it properly, you had to remove the headrest. That's a, that's just a terrible design. That's see, that's that's a, good, a perfect example. Like, why did they do it that way? But you know, the back seat requires headrest now. Uh, you know, that's that's probably probably part of one of the uh, um, NHTSA standards or regulations that they must meet, right? For you know, I, I guess so that the rear seat passengers, it's probably a whiplash reducing effort or something like that, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. probably why they were there. All right, so Ben, I, I think we've pretty much wrapped up. You know, the the complexity of of why you know a, a car is kind of boring i guess in a way why why it's not always the flash why it's not always you know um an exotic supercar looking economy vehicle you know, it's difficult to do that uh when you're dealing with um you know limited budgets mm-hmm. you're dealing with uh you know multiple the, groups the, the um the, the restrictions of an assembly line that you know is often nearly entirely robotic in some cases for you know these economy cars that roll off you know Dozens every minute, you know, whatever the whatever the pace is, really. Right. Um, so you know, there's a lot of restrictions, a lot of um, regulations, a lot of um, things that that are happening behind the scenes that we just don't see, we don't understand until we really start to think about it or talk to somebody like Mr. Car Designer and then understand, uh, you know, what they're dealing with, the limitations that they're dealing with, you know, the the parameters that they have to to meet in order to get that approved. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's probably a valuable lesson for it's. It was a valuable lesson for me. I mean, I understand now. Uh, you know what's happening, and and why a uh, a cheap car it, it looks cheap, right? Why it, why right. it doesn't necessarily have the flash of of a Jaguar? It doesn't have the uh, uh, the pizzazz of a um, uh, a Panos or something like that. You know, <laughs> I was trying to think of a P vehicle. Yeah, but, I think uh, yeah, you nailed it. Well, there's <laughs> yeah, and why the materials seem to change, maybe even degrade over time. An obscure sports car. I had to bring up an obscure sports car as my example for the P vehicle. Like it has I, pizzazz. I, I guess so. How about um, Pinto? The pizzazz of the Pinto? Pizzazz of the Pinto, sure. <laughs> no, that's definitely not one. All right, so I, I said I wanted to wrap up with a, a question or two for our listeners and for you, Ben. Um, I, the question would be, now, think about this. If they really could design you know, some of the smaller cars with a lot of style, a lot of, uh, um, a lot of the features and, and, and excitement, I guess, that some of the exotics have or the sports cars have, right? Say you want to get a, a, a $12,000 vehicle that looks just incredible. People, yeah. a real head turner, right? Uh, without adding on a bunch of stuff that you bought, you know, at the, the local auto parts store. I mean, if you want to add, you know, fins or, you know, <laughs> whatever, vents and, and side skirts, whatever. Uh-huh. All right. So you don't want to do that. You want to buy a car from the factory, but would you really ever want to drive like a stylish sports car or an exotic car that doesn't have the power behind it like, like an exotic or a sports car does have? Cause you'd still be getting the economy uh, drive line with that. You'd still be getting, you know, that, that 1.8 liter nas- naturally aspirated, uh, five speed manual transmission vehicle that, you know, doesn't really have any get up and go compared to the vehicle that you're trying to look like. And it would just be kind of like you're, you're like, you're kind of like a, like, like a poser. Like you're like saying yeah, like, I don't like that, man. I, I don't think I do either. I mean, it's like, you know, you'd have all the, you'd have the look. You just wouldn't have, you know, the, the, anything to back it up. I would rather, I would much rather have a car that it looks like, you know, looks like an early 90s Volvo or something and it's still, maybe even, maybe even earlier, like an 80s Volvo, okay? So okay. picture it. Sure. We're, we're, this is very boxy right now. Oh yeah. 
and uh, have it perform like a like a high high powered exotic car. So a sleeper. Yeah, you want, you I'd much s- rather have a sleeper because the the idea. It might be for some people, but the idea of having a car that appears to be, you know, one of the apex predators of the road and not being able to back it up, that's just dirty. Okay, now I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not, I'm not, uh, being disparaging in any way towards a certain vehicle here, but I'm going to mention a certain vehicle. And uh, and a, a pair of vehicles maybe, okay. and I'm actually a fan of these vehicles. I like them. Okay, all right. Don't all get right. me don't get me wrong when I read this. But, okay, this but, is just saying. But think about the think about this. Now this is a a lower line vehicle. It's not it's not the bottom of the line vehicle for either of these manufacturers. But um, think about the Toyota FRS, uh, now to be known as the Toyota 86, um, or the Subaru BRZ. Those vehicles, you remember? We, I mean, we've talked about those in the past, yeah. right? They're both yeah, yeah. comparable-looking vehicles. They're both um, roughly the same exterior-wise. They've got, uh, they've only got like 200 horsepower, maybe 205 horsepower, which is plenty strong for a small vehicle like that, right? But they look like they should do more. They look amazing. Those are great-looking vehicles. So yeah. that's something that Toyota and Subaru are combined, you know, as a combined effort, yeah. have done very well. They've made a, a great-looking small vehicle that's still affordable it's not an economy car it's not you know the, the base level vehicle but sure. it's it's lower lower in the line lineup i should say um but they don't necessarily have a, like an overabundance of power that's what i mean i know you can you can tune these and you can change them you know you can add upgrades you can do whatever you want to make them a lot stronger but right from the factory they look fantastic they perform Pretty well, but not at the top level that you might expect the way that looks. I mean, it looks like a fast vehicle. It looks really fast, like an ex- almost not exotic, but it looks like a sports car. It is a sports car. Yeah. But um, again, 200 horsepower, 205, somewhere around there. Um, that's not necessarily like, you know, when you jump into a car that has, you know, 500 horsepower, 600 horsepower right. and has the looks – to, to go along with that five or six hundred horsepower, it's it's not the same thing. And, and again, I'm not trying to be disparaging towards you know Subaru owners or, or uh, Toyota owners of that vehicle because I think they look great. But um, uh, that's just one example, like how they've how they've kind of upped their game. They've made you know some of these these lower end vehicles look really great. They can do that. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is, and I don't know if they're running into this. I, mm-hmm. I haven't really even looked up the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make an economy car or a, a cheaper car look fantastic. You, you really can do it, and it'll cost them a little more. Sure. But the problem is, they might not sell a lot. Sure, there are going to be people that you know are enthused about, you know, very excited about it. There's right. going to be one group that has to have that vehicle. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is going to say, I think I'll pass. I'm just going to go on something that's a little simpler. Uh, keep it, keep it easy. Keep it simple. Um, you know, I'll buy the the the, uh, the manufacturer, the make that is the competitor in that in that group. Right. Um, right. For whatever reason, maybe they don't want the flash. Maybe they don't want the attention mm-hmm. that something like that would draw. So, you know, y- you you think just like as a knee jerk reaction that that would be a great idea is for them to create something that it looks like an exotic and is an economy vehicle, but that might not be the case for everybody. Not everybody is going to love that the way that you might love that. Point though, we would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, the if we didn't mention the weight to power ratio. A lot of these manufacturers, of these cars, are creating vehicles that overall 
do pretty well with 200, 205 horsepower. Oh, and I, and I think that the FRS and the BRZ do. I mm-hmm. think that they're, they're performers, but they're not necessarily uh, at the level that you would get from, you know, again, a, a $60,000, $80,000, right. or even a $100,000 car. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just not getting that. But but for, you know, 25000 or whatever they cost, I think I'm, I'm close there, maybe thirty. We're ballparking. Yeah, somewhere around there. They're a fantastic vehicle. They really are, mm-hmm. and, and probably worth it. They're probably worth every dime. So I guess we would want to know what you think about this too, listeners. I, Scott, I, I owe you an apology because I believe in the beginning I I misinterpreted a little bit with, with the Toyota and Subaru examples you have. I think I think they are competent cars, yeah. And I don't think they're the kind of thing you should be ashamed to have at a traffic light. However, there are some other examples uh, of cars that would, you know, that that look like they should be doing much better than they do. Should we name names? No, let's not name names. I don't know. Maybe that's its own episode. <laughs> I have I have a list of uh, <laughs> cheapest cars for 2017. You know that that Nissan Versa sedan was right at the top, but yeah. Um, but it is what it is. Nobody's yeah. going up by a Nissan and going, uh-oh, better start revving for the straightaway. <laughs> Let's just throw out Mitsubishi Mirage there, just just because I want to. <laughs> yeah, that's one. Okay, so anyways, there's there's a whole bunch of vehicles that you know you can still get into that maybe aren't the flashiest vehicle, mm-hmm. but but uh, they suit the purpose. You know, they get yeah. you they get you where you have to go. Right. Um, they're maybe not the most fun vehicle to drive. And they look a little bit plain, you know, sure they do, but they're getting a little bit better maybe as, as time goes on as, you know, we're in 2017, 2018 model years now. Yeah. Um, they are getting a little bit better when you consider oh, wow. what it used to look like, what the economy car, what the base vehicle used to look like back in the 80s and 90s it or just, even earlier. It just hit me though when you said that, man. We're in October right now. This is 2018 model years are coming out. Oh, yeah. Oh man, yep. what have I been doing with my life? <laughs> well, let us let us know what you think about this. I, personally, I would always prefer a sleeper car. Yeah, I think I'm the same way. I yeah. think I would prefer something that you just don't expect. You know, okay. something that's uh, unexpected. It's a surprise. Speak softly. Carry a carry a big V8. Yeah. You know? uh, <laughs> nice. It was okay. Not my best work. Oh, it was good. It was. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, So we are going to hit the road today, but we will be back very soon with a brand new episode of Car Stuff. In the meantime, if you would like to hear more uh, behind the scenes explorations of car manufacturing, we have our entire catalog of podcasts available for free at carstuffshow.com. And more on the way. We promise. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where a lot of stories that maybe weren't enough for a full episode uh, pop up. So let us know what you think. You can also talk to your fellow listeners, which I think is really cool when you see people getting conversations about stuff. Oh, yeah. Yep, that happens. And in the meantime, if you're like Scott, Ben, Super Producer Tyler... I've got some super secret insider info about the manufacturing process of Insert Company X here, uh, or I have some very strong opinions about sleeper cars versus these, um, let's say, chameleon cars that look like (laughs) something else, right? Uh, Then we'd love to hear from you directly. You can email us at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. 
You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. 